We're in verse 9 of the book of Jude. We've been studying about the false teachers who snuck into the churches of Jesus Christ. And last week, Jude referred to these hypocrite preachers in verse 8 as filthy dreamers. Remember that? Filthy dreamers. In verse 8, he said, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. And so we saw that uh, by calling them filthy dreamers last week, that Jude was referring to them as the false prophets of the Old Testament. When God said that they, they said, I dreamed a dream, but he said they didn't get that dream from me. They were false prophets. They were prophesying from their own imagination. And from the key words that Jude used to describe these false prophets, we learned that they defile their flesh, despise the dominion of God, and then they defame the dignitaries that God's placed in his dominion. And last week, uh, someone sent me a photo. Y'all may have seen it going around on social media. They sent me a photo of a t-shirt for sale that's been going around on the internet for a while. They thought I would enjoy looking at the photo and get a kick out of it, but actually it, it, it kind of had the the opposite effect. But in the advertisement, there is a young, tough-looking man with muscles and tattoos. They like putting those guys advertising the T-shirts, I notice nowadays. And uh, this tough-looking man with muscles and tattoos, not quite like Brother Shepherd, not quite as muscular, but very close. And the shirt said that he was called a pastor... Because hardcore, devil-stomping ninja isn't an official job title. Has anyone else seen that T-shirt? You have? Anyone else? Is anybody wearing that T-shirt? All right. (laughs) Making sure. But uh, uh, I tell you what, church, I'd be scared to wear a T-shirt that said something as ridiculous as that. When I saw that tough guy wearing that T-shirt... I thought to myself, now there's a man who knows nothing about spiritual warfare. There's a man who's probably never gone through the bitter, fiery trials of an enemy who desires to sift him as wheat. Remember when Jesus faced the devil? Before he faced the devil, he fasted 40 days. And after he faced the devil, angels came and ministered unto him. It was exhausting. A devil-stomping ninja? Whoever came up with that t-shirt has no clue. Listen, wearing tough guy tattoos and having muscles doesn't scare the devil. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the Bible says. Second of all, the devil's far more powerful than we are. I want you to listen close. The only victory that you will ever experience over the devil is the victory that Jesus won for you on the cross. That's the only victory you'll ever experience over the devil. And that means the only way you can experience your victory over the devil is if you humble yourself to acknowledge the truth 
of the sinner, the weak, pathetic sinner that you really are, and resist the devil in the great deliverance that Jesus accomplished for sinners just like us. When he died on the cross and rose again. The devil's a cruel foe. He's a wicked foe. And praise God one day. He is going to be fully forever defeated and condemned by God through the gospel. So it's not our place to go around talking smack about the devil. Because apart from Jesus Christ. We are only sinners in a lower realm of creation than he is. Creepy clergy have no respect for the ranking system of creation. They speak evil against dignitaries, whether they're boasting against fallen angels like the devil or whether they're railing against God's apostles like they did the apostle Paul. Verse 9, Yet Michael, the archangel, Jude says, when contending with the devil about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. I thank you for the wonderful singing today. I thank you for the precious people, Father, who uh, have uh, joined with us today to set this time aside, acknowledging this as the Lord's day. As Brother Shepherd said, all days are yours, just as all money is yours. But, Lord, we set this day aside as we set our ties aside, and we acknowledge this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. This is the day wherein our victory is found. And so we acknowledge, Lord, the victory of Jesus. And we pray in his name that you'll feed us from, with the bread of heaven. And may your Holy Spirit fill us all now, we ask it. Glorify your name. May all eyes be on you and teach us in your word. Amen. Michael the archangel. When contending with the devil. He disputed. About the body of Moses. And when he did so. Jude said he durst not bring against him a railing accusation. But said the Lord rebuke thee. So when contending with Satan. The highest Angel of all, the archangel. He did not launch a verbal assault against the devil. And if the archangel left us with that example, then we would be wise to follow it as men, right? All right, now let's break this verse down because this is not a happy-go-lucky Easy verse to skip through. <laughs> it's difficult passage. But let's break this down and dip deep into its words. Look in verse 9. Yet Michael, the archangel. Jude is now mentioning an angel named Michael. And he describes Michael as the archangel. Archangel means chief angel. Chief angel. Now, Michael, as an angel, you see the name Michael many times in the Bible because there's men who are named Michael, just like there's men who are named Jesus in the Bible and, uh, and, and uh, different Marys in the Bible. But as far as the angel Michael goes, that name is only mentioned a few times in the Old Testament and only two times in the New Testament. 
The first time it's mentioned is here in, in the book of Jude. And the second and only other time that the, the angel named Michael is mentioned in the Bible is in Revelation twelve seven, where Michael and his angels fight with the, the dragon and his angels. Now, there are a few people, a few theologians who believe, and I might add for very good reasons, that Michael is actually the Lord Jesus Christ. That the name Michael is actually referring to the angel of the Lord. Now, when you get in the Old Testament, you're reading in the Old Testament, if you haven't noticed, it can get very confusing. Because you'll hear about an angel of the Lord speaking, and the angel will say, don't worship me, worship God. And, you know, God sent me to tell you this. But then you'll see other times in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord speaks, and he's God. And sometimes it's hard to know the difference. Has anyone else noticed that besides me? Raise your hand if you notice. I'm curious. All right, good. Making sure we're all on the same page here. And so you have to understand that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. Okay? It's Jesus Christ. We're going to learn something here this morning. (laughs) But there's some who believe, and for very good reasons, that Michael is actually the name for the angel of the Lord because it means archangel. Now, I want to share with you just a few of those reasons this morning. And we could go well past the Presbyterian bells on this, okay? Again, in the Old Testament, Jesus is referred to on numerous occasions as the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord was identified as the Lord himself, Jehovah himself, not a created angel but the eternal angel of the Lord, such as when he wrestled with Jacob, okay? Uh, And spoke to Hagar when she fled from her mistress. And when he spoke to Moses and said, don't you hurt that boy when he was about to come down and slay Isaac. And when he spoke to Satan. Several occasions in the Bible. And according to my understanding, the angel of the Lord, if you could think of it this way, well, why would you call Jesus the angel of the Lord? Why wouldn't it just be the Lord? What does an angel do? An angel comes and represents as a spokesperson the Lord. The word angel is messenger, one dispatched out. So you have a third-party angel. That's a created angel. But then you have a first-party angel. And that would be when God manifests his presence visibly or audibly to someone. And then that's God directly stepping into a manifest presence in the person of the second person in the Trinity, and then speaking on the Father's behalf. That's what we would call the angel of God's presence. Does that make sense? The angel of God's presence, all right? 
Now, if you're taking notes, you might want to have your pen handed. You might want to write down uh, the angel of God's presence. I want you to listen to what Isaiah, the prophet, said about God's relationship with the children of Israel in Isaiah 63, verse 9. Isaiah 63, verse 9. Isaiah said, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he, that is the angel of his presence, redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. So what did we just learn about the angel of God's presence in the book of Isaiah 63, 9? The angel of God's presence saves. The angel of God's presence redeems. He saved Israel. He redeemed Israel. Now, remember the story of Jacob. It was a bizarre story. Jacob wrestled with a man. You remember that? And clearly, this man is not just any man. And and he, he wrestled all night long, and finally the angel said, let me go. He said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Now, we know the angel, I'm sorry, the man he's wrestling with has to be more than a man. Because the Bible says, the less is blessed of the greater. And so he's asking this man to bless him. Uh, very fascinating. But what's more fascinating is, after the angel blesses him, Jacob said, I have seen God face to face. That was the angel of God's presence that Jacob was wrestling with. He saw God face to face. Now, Jesus said, no man has seen the Father at any time, right? But the Son declares him. In the Old Testament, when Jacob wrestled with God and saw God face to face, who was he seeing? He was seeing the Son, the angel of God's presence. And I want you to listen to what Jacob said before he died in Genesis 48, verses 15 through 16. If you're taking notes, Genesis 48, verses 15 through 16, as he blessed his offspring. The Bible says, and he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. The angel of God's presence. He's God. So the angel that appeared as a man was the God who fed Jacob all his life. Now, Jesus is referred to by many names in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, right? For Everlasting Father, uh, uh, Prince of Peace. Uh, there's all kinds of the branch, all kinds of names for Jesus in the Old and New Testament. And the name Michael means who is as God. Who is as God? If you were looking one definition, it may put a question mark after it because the person thinks, well, maybe they're asking a question. But if you look at the dictionary, there's no question. It's simply a statement. Who is as God? 
And this would be a fitting name for Jesus being the angel of God's presence, who, as the book of Hebrews says, is, quote, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And there are many more reasons to believe that Michael is the angelic name for Christ, but let me give you a couple of more reasons, and then we'll move forward. Remember, Jesus, the angel of God's presence, is our Redeemer and Savior. And in the book of Daniel, we read about Jesus' second coming. But I want you to listen to how Daniel described his second coming. In Daniel 12, verse 1, describes the second coming of Christ like this. Quote, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the, peop- for the children of thy people. This is the angel talking to Daniel. The great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And when will that happen? When Michael stands up. And again, we are told in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, that when Jesus comes again, he will come with his angels. Jesus said, quote, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And the second time that Michael is mentioned in the New Testament in Revelation 12, 7, the Bible says, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels. Since the angelic name Michael is only mentioned a few times in the Bible. And there are some arguments that one could make against him being the name of the the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. I don't want to be dogmatic about that this morning. I do, however, want to say that the idea warrants very serious consideration, especially when we consider what Jude is telling us this morning. Look back in your text. Because Jude speaks of Michael the archangel, quote, when contending with the devil. When contending with the devil. In other words, Michael was contending with the devil meaning he was correcting the devil in the sense that he was rendering a judgment against him, telling the devil that he was wrong. He was rendering a sentence against the devil, telling him he was wrong. And on this particular occasion, Jude said, look in your text, he disputed about the body of Moses. That is, the angel Michael disputed about the body of Moses. Now, the Greek word translated disputed here is a fascinating word. It has the idea of arguing a convincing case. It's the same word used to describe the Apostle Paul when he goes into the synagogues and when he, quote, reasoned with the Jews from the Scriptures trying to convince them that Jesus was the Christ. Acts 18, verse 
Paul reasoned, same Greek word, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So Jude is saying that Michael reasoned about the body of Moses in opposition, I suppose, to the the devil's false accusation concerning the body of Moses. This same Greek word is also translated preached in the New Testament. So when you hear the word disputed here, don't think of some cat fight going back and forth. Remember, the angel Michael didn't, didn't issue a railing accusation. So when you hear the word disputed, think of it as a strong and convincing argument that's being made contrary to the false argument that's being proposed. Now, I want you to listen again to how this Greek word is used in the New Testament concerning the Apostle Paul. Acts 19 verse 8 says, He went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading. You see how the two go in hand in hand. Disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So Paul was countering the lies of the devil with the convincing truth of God's word. Jude doesn't tell us what false accusation the devil made about the body of Moses. Many people, I would probably say most people, have imagined that the devil was trying to find out where the body of Moses was hid and trying to get it. So he could tempt people to worship it in some idolatrous way. But we have absolutely no evidence of that at all. There's no hint of that in the Bible. Jude simply said that Michael contended with the devil. And when he did, Michael reasoned. Michael preached. Michael disputed about the body of Moses. To understand this, I believe we have to go back to the beginning of Moses' ministry. God told Moses that he was going to use him to bring Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, and then he was going to take the Israelites and bring them into the rest of the promised land, and where that he had promised to Abraham and his descendants, and, and they would be there forever, and he would give them that land as an inheritance. And, and God did bring them out of Egypt through Moses' ministry, and then through Moses, God established what we now know as the law of Moses, which foreshadowed the covenant of the grace of Jesus Christ. Under the law of Moses, the Old Testament priesthood was established. And the people were told what to do and what not to do in order to enjoy the blessing of God's protective hand and the land that he was going to bring them to. The problem was this. The law was too weak to get them into the promised land. It was just too weak Because the Israelites had a fallen, sinful nature. And it was unable to keep the law as it should, that nation was. So the law was too weak because of the flesh. Even Moses himself, the giver of the law, couldn't keep the law of Moses well enough. And he himself was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Don't think that was by happenstance. Because of Moses' disobedience, you know what God did? He graciously took the life of Moses. He let him look into the promised land from a hill. He didn't let him go in. 
He then took the life of Moses, and then God himself buried the body of Moses. And it wasn't until the new covenant comes, and Jesus Christ is on the Mount of Transfiguration, that Moses finally got to enter the promised land. When you see him and Elijah talking with Jesus there in the promised land. But under the Mosaic law, the giver of the Mosaic law could not enter the promised land. So God buried Moses' body on the other side of the Jordan River. Just outside the promised land in the plains of Moab. The Bible says, quote, this is Deuteronomy 34, 6. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. Now this was greatly symbolic, I believe. Because it showed that the law of Moses was unable to deliver us into the rest that God promised. The Bible says Moses wasn't able to get them in. And there remains a rest to the people of God that, that the Old Testament uh, uh, spoke about but couldn't fulfill. And after God buried the body of Moses, he then led the Israelites into the promised land under the ministry of a man named whom? Joshua. And Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Showing us that the grace of Christ would have to replace the law of Moses for the church to enter our eternal rest. John chapter 1 verse 17 says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Joshua Christ, Jesus Christ. So the body of Moses was put away. And Joshua came in Moses' stead. And here's Michael, Jude says, Here's Michael the archangel reasoning about the body of Moses to the devil. Preaching about the body of Moses to the devil. Putting the devil in his place with the truth of God. But when the archangel did this, look back in your text, he, quote, durst not bring against him a railing accusation. And there's people that say, oh, that can't be Jesus because Jesus wouldn't mind giving the devil a railing accusation. Jesus is God. He would tell the devil off. But Michael had to be a created angel because he dared not bring a railing accusation against the devil. Not true. When the apostle Paul was reasoning with the Jews about the body of Jesus, we'll get into that in just a moment. But when he says he dares not bring a railing accusation, when the apostle Paul reasoned, or disputed with the Jews about the body of Jesus being raised from the dead. That's what Paul was talking about. Jesus was the Christ. He's been raised from the dead. When he disputed about the body of Jesus, he wasn't vilifying the unbelieving Jews. He was glorifying the living Christ. And in the same way, when Michael set the devil in his place, he didn't talk trash to the devil. The devil, as sad as it is, is nonetheless the loving creation of Almighty God. Church, God hates sin, but He loves His creation. God loved 
the angel Lucifer when he made him. And I believe it broke the heart of God when he rebelled against him and he had to throw him out of heaven. So Michael didn't talk trash to the devil with a railing or blaspheming accusation. But he put Satan in his rightful place as a creature in need of being corrected by his creator. Michael didn't bring a railing accusation against the devil. Look back in your text and said, say it with me, the Lord rebuke thee. And you may think, well, then that has to be a created angel. Or he wouldn't have said, the Lord rebuke thee. He'd say, I rebuke thee. You know, there's only one other time in the Bible, one other time when the words, the Lord rebuke thee, is used. Only one other time. Jude could have been quoting another source, or Jude could have been given this knowledge by direct inspiration of God. We don't take that away. But these words, the Lord rebuke thee, are spoken only once in the Bible, other than what Jude's saying here. So if Jude is quoting from the Old Testament, then he has to be quoting from the other place where these words were spoken. And that's the book of Zechariah. If you'd turn there, please. The book of Zechariah. And do you know who spoke these words in the book of Zechariah? Do you know who said the Lord rebuke thee in the book of Zechariah? It was the angel of God's presence. It was Jesus Christ himself. And do you know who the angel the Lord spoke to when he spoke these words? He spoke them to the devil. It was an absolutely fascinating scene. In a vision, Zechariah saw the high priest at that time, a man whose name happened to be Joshua. I don't think there's a coincidence with that. The Hebrew name for Jesus. And Joshua in, in Zechariah's vision was standing before the angel of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. The angel of God's presence. So the high priest was standing before the true high priest. Here's a man named Joshua in the vision. Who happens to be the high priest of Israel at the time. And that high priest is standing before the angel of the Lord. The true high priest to come. Fascinating. So, Jesus, remember Joshua means Jesus in Hebrew. The high priest was standing before the high priest. Jesus was standing before Jesus. The true Jesus. The law of Moses, the high priest under Moses' law, was standing before grace and truth. And the devil was standing there resisting or accusing Joshua, the high priest under Moses' law. Now, if the high priest is unfit to represent the nation, then the whole nation is doomed. They have no suitable representative, no substitutionary sacrifice to atone for their sins. If that high priest is unfit to represent them. So let's take a peek now into Zechariah's vision. The bells are going to ring here from the church in a moment. Let's just keep going. 
Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's take a peek into Zechariah's vision. And let's see what happens when the devil accuses the high priest under the law of Moses. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 3, please. Zechariah chapter 3. In Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, the prophet said, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now watch what the angel of the Lord says to the devil who accuses the high priest. Verse 2, and the Lord, now notice that the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. You see that? Who's saying the Lord rebuke thee? The Lord is. <laughs> and the Lord, Jehovah, the angel of the Lord, said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. This is about Jerusalem. It's not about Joshua. It's about the nation Joshua's representing. And the devil is resisting Joshua. The devil is resisting the high priest on the Old Testament law. And the angel of the Lord stands up for the high priest and says, The Lord rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? The idea is that Israel, as God described another time in the Old Testament, is like a stick burning up ready to be completely dissolved and through grace snatched out of the fire. Here is the Lord God Almighty telling the devil, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, if the angel of God himself did not bring a railing accusation against the devil, but said the Lord rebuke thee, then how much more should we not venture out to vilify people and the angels of God's creation? Who are we but lowly sons of men? And all men, the evil and the righteous, are all made in the image of God. Listen, I'm no devil-stomping ninja. I am a sinner saved by grace who will rebuke the devil only one way, through the cross of Jesus Christ. Zechariah went on to say, Now Joshua was clothed, with filthy garments, and stood before the angel. Here is the high priest under Moses' law. Moses, whose body had to be buried and couldn't go into the promised land. Here's the high priest who was made high priest by Moses. And he's standing there, and the devil's accusing him. He's the high priest, but he's clothed in filthy garments. How can he represent Israel? It's true, the high priest under Moses' law was clothed in filthy garments. Every sin the devil accused him of was probably right on the money, guilty. And he's standing before the angel of God, the true high priest to come, the antitype that he represented. And here's Joshua the man 
clothed in filthy, sinful garments. But I want you to listen to what happens next. Look with me in verse 4. And he, that is the angel of God, answered and spoke unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I, that is the angel of God, says, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. That's the garments of salvation, Brother Doug. That's what the church is wearing in the book of the Revelation. She's clothed in white. That's what Adam and Eve were wearing back in the Garden of Eden. It was a picture. When God came down and slew those animals and put them on Adam and Eve, that was the angel of God's presence taking a picture of what he would do. Took off the filthy garments of the fig leaves and put a chain of raiment on his creatures. The high priest took away the sins of the high priest. Grace rescued those under the law. The law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, who is as God. For if you have seen him, then you have seen the Father. Is this the scene Jude is referring to? Was the body of Moses a symbol for the failure of the law in the need for the body of Christ? Is Michael the name for the angel of God's presence? These things are worthy of strong consideration. But the grace of that angel is worthy of all acceptation. And with that, we'll stand and be dismissed. What an incredible passage of Scripture. Interestingly, while we're on the topic, I want you to look just two verses down, or just a few verses down, rather. There's only so many in the book of Jude. But I want you to look in verse 23. It says, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Remember the firebrand in Zechariah? We'll close with a word of prayer. I just thank the Lord for this wonderful book and the wonderful truth within it. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. I thank you, Father, for the amazing grace of Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, for the angel of your presence who came, was adorned in flesh as the song we sung today before the preaching, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that the angel of your presence has also, as the Old Testament Israel has redeemed and saved the New Testament church. It's in him we trust. It's in his name we pray. And Father, we thank you for the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the food we're about to receive, the fellowship afterward. 
We pray your blessing, Father, upon the sacred and solemn communion that we'll partake of thereafter.